This is 112BK, coming to you from Brick House in downtown Brooklyn. On the show today, elections, elections, what happened and what it tells us, navigating Obamacare for 2018, and then a cinematic ode to lesbian love. Hi, I'm Ashley Ford. Welcome to the show. We've got a doozy, chock full of things you need to know about the election results and health insurance. Health insurance, man, feels like we've been talking about health insurance for more than a year. Should it really occupy so much space in our collective consciousness or so much space in our personal budgets? Well, it's that time of year again to sign up for a plan if you don't get yours through your job. We'll navigate that. But first, we have two great guests to help us interpret the election results near and far. You know, on Tuesday night, I tried to find the results for my district, the city council race between Matthew Eugene and Brian Cunningham. It was a testy race. Eugene was accused of campaigning at polling locations as ballots were being cast, which is a legal no-no, and Cunningham was an insurgent who had lost in the primaries and then found a way to run again in the general election. It was an interesting and important contest, and I had to dig. Finally, I found the results on News America's Now, Caribbean and Latin America Daily News. Now, no disrespect to News America's Now, but I missed my DNA info, my Gothamist, my reporters who have covered this beat for years. Do you hear me, Joe Ricketts? In other developments, a proposed development that would add 112 units of affordable housing to Bed-Stuy is getting some pushback from local residents. Why? Because the building would replace a parking lot that belongs to another building owned by the same developer. At a public meeting on Monday, residents greeted the plan with jeers and boos because they said it would reduce available parking in the already congested neighborhood. The developer showed photos of the lot to prove that it's actually seldom used, but current residents worry that the addition of 112 units would add more cars, and whether or not the lot is being used, it still creates more competition for already scarce spaces. Brooklyn, you're bursting at the seams. And then there's this. Father expresses concern about Brooklyn moving to New York. Yes, you heard that right. Brooklyn Beckham, son of David and Victoria Beckham, is in college in the Big Apple, Parsons School of Design to be precise. The famous soccer star revealed in a recent interview that he was worried about his eldest son and what his life would be like in the U.S. Among his concerns is the current political climate, same here, and how that will affect him. In the same report, his mom confessed she hasn't been able to stop crying since his departure. Yes, we cover it all. Like we've told you before, on this show, if it matters to Brooklyn, it matters to us. We'll be right back with a look at Tuesday's elections, so don't go away. Turnout was up, challengers were down, incumbents are in, and the Constitutional Convention is out. What else happened on a pivotal Tuesday in the city? We're joined by two people perfectly positioned to tell us about what went down, what we know, and even at this early stage, what it might mean. Jerry Skernick, campaign consultant with Prime New York, welcome to the show. And Laura Namias from Politico New York, thank to you both for coming on 112BK. Thank you for having us. Thank you so much for being here. My first question, what did we see last night? What did you see last night? In the city? In the city. Uh, fairly much of a status quo election. Yeah. Uh, not many surprises. Uh, looks like there was one upset of an incumbent council member, but other than that, uh, 
probably something that most people, you know, for the last two or three months thought was going to happen. Right, right. Even with the mayoral race. Yes, it was mm -hmm. a low drama, low drama mayoral race um, for much of the campaign, if it can be called that. The right. mayor has has refrained from getting into it with any of his challengers. Mm -hmm. He's preferred to focus his attention on what it is that he can do for the city to protect it against Donald Trump right. and uh, the Congress. And he has had a comfortable double-digit margin over the Republican challenger um, for months now, and he maintained that. Uh, it looks like he won about 66% of the vote last wow. night. And Maliotakis, Nicole Maliotakis, the Republican Assemblywoman from Staten Island, brought in about, what was it, 29%? 28, 29. 29%. Yeah. So a significant margin of victory. Not historic, but not a question. Right. So de Blasio must be happy today, right? Or not so much? He seems happy. Yeah. Uh, he, he walked into a press conference uh, in City Hall a short while ago, and, and reporters said that he had a smile on his face mm -hmm. um, and declared several times that he had a mandate to continue the work that he uh, had been doing over the past four years. And um, I don't think that he's going to be shaken from the idea that he has that mandate, and he wouldn't have been no right. matter how small the margin was. He won. It's a winner-take-all thing. Winning is winning, and he's he's happy to, that it's over. Right. Yeah. I've always thought mandates were, like, completely meaningless. Uh, your margin has nothing to do with your mandate. Rudy Giuliani, Mike Bloomberg both won narrow victories, and right. neither one seemed to be shrinking violets. and you know, afraid to do do things because, right. oh, I didn't get 60% of the right. vote. Then, you know, look at George H.W. Bush. Uh, right. You know, he didn't get a majority, and, you know, if he got a majority, maybe he would have invaded a couple more countries. <laughs> maybe so. I'm glad that we won't know, <laughs> to be perfectly honest. Um, okay, so even though, you know, obviously he won and he's feeling good about that today, there's also something else happening there, right? Because James and Stringer got more votes than right. de Blasio, correct? Yes, yeah. Both of them. And is he feeling a way about that? Because I know that some people are poking him a little bit with that. He, um, I, I don't think that he's admitting it if he does, but the numbers do show us something really interesting mm -hmm. um, on a couple of fronts. One is that there were a really significant well, not significant in the overall scheme of the number of votes cast, but significant compared to elections past, number of write-in votes. Mm. So people came out to vote in, in the mayor's race, and they just wrote in somebody else. There were more than 5,000 of those wow. um, compared to less than 2,000 in 2013. And then another interesting thing is that um, uh, some, some challengers who barely got any media attention who weren't part of the debates, who had no money, raised no money, um, mm -hmm. got significant shares of the vote beyond the two main party like challengers. Like Akeem Browder. Like Akeem Browder, mm -hmm. who uh, is the brother of Khalif Browder, yes. who was wrongly um, imprisoned in Rikers uh, for stealing a backpack, which is something he mm -hmm. didn't do, was released after a public uh, outcry and, uh, and committed suicide. Yeah. He didn't do much in the way of campaigning. Um, he came in fourth right. in the mayor's race, and that speaks a lot to, I think, right. 
uh, the problems that Mayor de Blasio might have on his left mm -hmm. um, with We're criminal have justice a key on reform the show next week. I think, oh, actually, interesting. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, liberals and and people to the left of de Blasio on criminal justice reform, policing, the cl closure of Rikers Island. Um, have been very vocal critics, and it looks like they may have made their discontent known this way. Yeah, he he lost uh, he lost votes everywhere, just about everywhere. There were about only about six or seven assembly districts throughout the city where he did as well or better than last year, mm. uh, four years ago. Uh, I mean, he got 73 percent last year, so he obviously got less votes, right. less percentage votes. Uh, and it's not surprising. I mean, he's four years ago, he was a blank slate. He was promising things. Uh, this time, he's four years of making decisions and right. upset people. Uh, in fact, I remember 40, four years ago, a former Brooklyn city councilman had a great line right after the election, right before the election, he said, most people think Bloomberg did a pretty good job, and they can't wait to get rid of him. Right, yeah. <laughs> and, yeah, uh, I've actually seen that, and I've heard other yeah, people yeah. say something similar to that. Yeah. What, when we talk about four years ago and now, or even when we talk about last year and now, did we see any significant or surprising changes in voter turnout, period? Well, I was surprised the turnout did not go down. Mm. Uh, I mean, percentage-wise, uh, Laura said it may have gone down because there are more registered voters, but mm -hmm. there are actually more votes were cast this year than four years ago, which surprised me because, you know, even though de Blasio, everyone had him way ahead in the polls four years ago, he still had probably slight question whether he, whether it was true or not because he wasn't an incumbent mayor. You know, everybody—basically, this election was decided the day that the U.S. attorney and the Manhattan DA said that oh, nobody yeah. was going to be indicted. Uh, at, at that point, I would say, other than true believers on the other side, everybody knew that de Blasio was going to be reelected. And the fact that people still turned out was somewhat encouraging, though. Yeah, I, mean, I wonder oh, it's still a pretty lousy turnout. You know, it's still right. just over a million votes. We saw an interesting phenomenon in the primary races, which is that in the, um, that the increased turnout uh, in, in the primaries was, was bolstered by people coming out to vote in council districts where there was a hot race, yeah. where there were NIMBY issues, where there were fights over development, really hyper-local issues, Talk and that that lifted that. the turnout. Talk to me about that a little bit, especially like these Brooklyn races, yeah. which I feel like got really interesting this election. It's true. The council races are kind of where it's at. I don't. Yeah. I haven't looked at the numbers yet um, mm -hmm. in terms of turnout in specific EDs and, and ADs in or assembly districts in in Brooklyn to see and in other council districts to see if that actually pumped up the yeah, turnout. Yeah, I, I haven't done that either. But yeah, it was interesting. There were uh, was in, in Brooklyn and elsewhere there were at least three elect three cases where candidates running not on either the Democratic or Republican right. Party yes. line, uh, did fairly well. I mean, they didn't win. Uh, one was in the 35th Council District in Brooklyn, mm -hmm. where the Green Party candidate got—what uh, did he get here? 29 uh, percent of the vote. Jabari wow. Brisport. Right. Jabari Brisport. And yeah. in Flatbush, with Matthew Eugene, the right. candidate who lost to him came in second in the Democratic primary. Got 36 percent of the vote. Yeah, and that's my the district. WFP and then line. there was also in Manhattan, in Lower Manhattan, right. the losing Democratic candidate also got he got 37 percent. 
Did so, any issues rise to the surface? Were there like certain things, like I know you were talking about development specifically yes. had people yeah, coming I, I, out, in, but I've heard a lot in, of people in, also talking about In the about Lower Manhattan healthcare. District, it was, uh, was a, there were two local development issues. One had to do with NYU housing, mm -hmm. which the incumbent council member had comp brokered a compromise on, right. and those opposed to it weren't happy with the compromise. Right. And uh, a garden that uh, she supports a proposal to build uh, seniors housing on there. Mm -hmm. And in the, in the 35th Council District, it was the is it Brooklyn Armory, is it called? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Brooklyn Armory. Uh, that We've the, talked about that a little that bit That was on the, the issue show. there. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't think development was much of an issue in, council, in your district. No, not yeah. in my district. Yeah. That wasn't yeah. really the hot button issue, I don't right. think. People are concerned about gentrification in my district, like as much as they're concerned about it everywhere yeah. else. The, the, the fact that they did so well, part of that is, the, is depending on your perspective, either the tribute or a consequence of public public finance, campaign financing. So all three of those third-party candidates got city money to use in the general election wow. uh, matching funds. So that's why they do better than you know, a third-party candidate who runs for the assembly, unless, right. unless they're a millionaire. Right. They're not right. gonna have much money to spend, but they were able to successfully, not to win, but compete on a semi-equal footing with the Democratic uh, incumbent. Right. Yeah. All right. Well, any closing thoughts for either of you? Well, um, I, I think that in uh, there's been a tendency uh, in national reporting to lump the mayor's race in with the other big Democratic mm -hmm. wins that we saw last night in mm -hmm. the Virginia governor's race, in the House of Delegates, in the New Jersey governor's race. Um, and it's a question, I think, how much of de Blasio's win came from uh, voters who were actually concerned about Donald Trump and, and it being a rebuke of Donald Trump and how much of it came from uh, other factors. Um, right. But he's certainly, the mayor is certainly happy to be lumped in with all of those other Democrats who won last night and are part of this so-called blue wave. Wow. Yeah. Well, thank you guys so much for coming on. I really, really do appreciate it. This is the information that people wanted. These are the things that we're still trying to figure out and hope to have you guys back again soon. Thank you. Thank you. Next up, it lives. Obamacare has survived repeated efforts to kill, maim, dismember, or otherwise incapacitate it. And now open enrollment is upon us. It's time to sign up for more of the show. What do you know? Obamacare, you made it to your fifth birthday. Congratulations! It wasn't easy. We weren't sure you'd survive, but here you are. And even though many people may not know it, you're still the law of the land when it comes to health insurance. I don't blame you, dear audience, if you're confused about what Obamacare can do or can't do for you this time around. So we have a couple of people on today who we hope will equip us with what we need to know to acquire insurance and keep healthy. Dr. Shirley Abraham is the chair of the Department of Family Medicine at the Brooklyn Hospital Center. Great to have you here. Thank you. And Errol Pierre is the Vice President of Product Management for Insurance Provider Health First. Welcome to 112BK. Thanks for having us. So first of all, for both of you, I don't care who answers first, but I gotta get this question out first. There's been so much confusion 
from people, about four people, about what is happening with Obamacare. Uh, the president is saying that it's dead. Other people are saying, no, it's not dead. It's very much alive. It's different. It's the same. Nobody really knows. So if you had to tell people just like a few <laughs> urgent things about what they should know about Obamacare right now, yeah. what would they be? Yeah, absolutely. So the good news is that it's still the law of the land, like you said. Mm -hmm. And since it's been around for five years, half of the uninsured population in New York got coverage. Mm -hmm. So they're able to enroll, get ID cards, see doctors, which is great. The confusion right now is when does it start? What do people right. need to do? Mm -hmm. The number one thing is it, it open enrollment started November 1st. Mm -hmm. So on November 1st, you can go to healthcare.gov and find out if you're eligible. That's the most important thing. Just go to the website, mm -hmm. type in your income information, your name, and find out what you're eligible for, whether it's Medicaid right. or the Obamacare plans. Mm -hmm. And then the second thing is on November 15th, you can renew. So if you already have coverage, okay. you have to make an action to keep it. You can't just think it renews on its yeah, own. It's just going to be there. <laughs> you have to go in, double check your eligibility, double check your income, just right. to make sure you keep it. Those are the two biggest things that people should know. Well, have prices gone up? Have they stayed the same? Yeah. Have things changed? Every year, prices go up and down, right? Mm -hmm. But the, the good news is people are eligible for tax credits and subsidies. So it's, mm -hmm. it's financial assistance that makes health care cheaper. So right. people that earn between $16,000 and about $42,000, mm -hmm. they actually get financial assistance, which makes the coverage maybe $100 a month, $80 a month, depending on their income. Okay. And Medicaid is free of charge. And we even have a program called Essential Plan in New York that's 20 bucks, 40 bucks a month. So it's very affordable coverage that's out there right now. And the right. most important thing is go to the website and put in your information. Excellent. And Dr. Abraham, let me ask you one thing that I keep hearing about is um, avoiding reactionary medical treatment. Is Obamacare going to help with that, or can it help people with that? What reactionary medicine is not having a PCP. That's reactionary. Right. That is when you have a cough, a cold, a earache, you run to the urgent care or the ER. Mm -hmm. That's reactionary. What we are trying to do is preventative services. That's what primary care does. It's from your babies to your geriatric population, your grandparents, mm -hmm. from newborn vaccinations to dementia. That's what right. we do in primary care. And PCPs, that's what we do. So anything from colds to being hospitalized, we, across the continuum of care, we take care of you. We arrange a specialist care. We take, bring you back to the PCP. The PCP is the best person who knows all your history, mm -hmm. all your medications, all your allergy history, everything, a vaccination. So that's the best person. So that's not being reactionary. That's being proactive about right. your health. That's what we want to promote, getting your preventative services ahead of time. That sounds like everybody should be that's doing that. Everybody, and everybody exactly. should have access to it. Exactly. But are you seeing that here, specifically in Brooklyn, that people are, you know, finding their PCP um, and, you know, having the coverage that they need to be able to get that preventative care instead of the urgent care? So funny, I was just looking up the statistics. It's about 12% of Brooklyn population. Out of the 2 million population that live in Brooklyn, 12% do not have insurance. Wow. Which means they don't have a PCP and they're running. Even for asthma pumps, they're running to the urgent care. So that is nothing. That is not cost effective for the, for the right. entire nation in general. So, so what we're promoting is, and that's what Brooklyn Hospital is promoting, is now modernizing the ED if you do need it. You know, we have the Brooklyn Health Center, or the mm -hmm. Heart Center. We have the new urgent care or that we're trying to build. In 2025, we're going to have a huge state-of-the-art ED facility that we're going to promote. That will now with nine primary care centers across Brooklyn that we're going to have. So everything right. is integrated. 
So we're all already patient-centered medical home, level three status for all our nine centers wow. we have. So that's all coordinated care that we deliver. Right. Quality care, coordinated care, and it's all in one-stop shop at people Brooklyn Hospital. People just have to get there. Yes. People just have to get there. Absolutely. So one of the things that I hear people worried about, especially a lot of people who work in my field, people who are freelancers, mm -hmm. um, they're just worried about the price of the premiums. They're worried about high, deduct high deductibles. They're worried about all of those things. So, I mean, what do you tell those people specifically? You know, like how do we help them? Preventative care is part of your insurance plans, even with high deductibles. It mm -hmm. is part, it should be, it's part of the insurance plan. It's, it's free of charge. And, Correct. And yeah. Carol can so all of the, the Affordable Care Act, when it, when it passed, they mm -hmm. mandated that preventive care is covered at zero dollars. Right. So even if you end up buying a product that has a $3,000 deductible, meaning you have to pay $3 out of your pocket before you get covered, your preventive care visit, annual physicals, OBGYN up to two for women, well child visits, they're free of charge. If wow. you have to get mammograms, pap smears, colonoscopies, all those kind of services that are preventive, we cover them in full. So that it's no cost to the member if they're paying their premium and they're enrolled. If you come to a center like Brooklyn Hospital, you have all these in one. It's a one-stop shop, like I said. Everybody, mm -hmm. all the subspecialties are already there at Brooklyn Hospital. And your PCP can coordinate all of that visits across all, all the specialties. Should we be scared that this is going to go away? I think like that's one of the things personally that I worry about because this all sounds fantastic mm -hmm. and I'm immediately going, okay, Ashley should probably get your personal care <laughs> provider. Yeah, you absolutely. should get that set up. Um, but then the thing that I worry about and the thing that I know a lot of people are worrying about is but how long mm -hmm. will I even have it? I go through the process to get the insurance and set everything out. Trump's threatening to shut it down. Yes. How should I feel? How worried should I be? Right. Well, we say to folks, there's a couple fears. One is immigration status, right? So some people mm -hmm. feel, I just come to the country, I'm here legally, but I don't want to put my information to a computer because what mm -hmm. do they do with it, right? The one thing we always tell people is we cannot use federally, they can't use the data you put into healthcare.gov or New York State of Health for purposes of immigration, ICE, deportation. That is good They can't be used. Even undocumented folks can enroll their children and that information can't be used. So the 12% that's uninsured, mm -hmm. no child should not have coverage in New York Absolutely. or in Brooklyn. Every child should be covered. Um, the other confusion I think people feel is like, well, I hear there's repeal and replace, he has executive orders, what's happening. Mm -hmm. All of those laws take lots of time to actually get approved. So mm -hmm. nothing actually got passed. They, didn't, they weren't successful. Wow. The House passed a version, the Senate never did. So as of now, nothing changed. And I always say to people, you know, before the year ends, get your prescriptions refilled, make mm -hmm. sure you see your doctor before the new year starts and you restart your deductible. Mm -hmm. Use up your services, you're paying for it, and you know we'll see what happens later on in the, in the future, but as of right now, if it's here, you should take advantage of it. Absolutely, I'm so sorry we're out of time because I still have so many questions and there are so many things I wanna know, but thank you guys for coming on and for giving us this really important info. Thank you, thank you for having us. When we come back, a filmmaker talks about her intimate and inspiring first film, 195 Lewis. Stay tuned. Can you tell me where I can find Lewis Avenue? It's been called an ode to lesbian love, a touching film set in Bed-Stuy, and it screens at the Brooklyn Museum on Thursday evening. Here to tell us about that screening and the inspiration for the film is its producer, writer, and star, 195 Lewis, Ray Leon Allen.
Thanks for coming on 112BK. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. I'm excited for you to be here. How did you even get into this filmmaking world? How did that come about? I don't know. It seems like it just happened to me. Yeah. Uh, one of my good friends and I, we created this together. We used to hang out. We were watching um, The L Word. And oh. <laughs> she and I have both moved up Such from the style, show. right? And we mm -hmm. were like, we have to tell people about this. This is amazing. Brooklyn has all these beautiful black women with natural hair. Oh, yes. They read books. They wear shea butter, you know. We out here. Like, that is, I'm like, yes, we absolutely right. are. And I'm from Texas, so mm -hmm. I didn't know this before. And we just felt like this is something that needed to be documented. And we thought we were the ones to do it. Uh, so we wrote out a script. Then we reached out to MVMT, Terrence Nance, my director, Chanel Aponte Pearson. Mm -hmm. They come on board, and they actually know what they're doing. They've been doing it for 10 years. <laughs> so they helped us to put it together. That's what you do. You find the people who know exactly what they're doing and you hire them on and have them work with you. Absolutely. They live like two blocks from me, so yes. it, was, it was perfect so, synergy. So this is kismet, Absolutely. is basically what you're telling me. <laughs> so where is 195 Lewis? How did that title happen? Yeah, um, uh, Lewis is a play, but there's an mm -hmm. actual 195 that's like a black lesbian hub in Brooklyn. <laughs> yeah, a lot of, uh, especially newcomers, they come in and out, in and out of that space. Uh, so I spent some time there, and my co-creator, Yanni Supreme, we spent a lot of time in that space. So it was an ode to this place, like our new home in Brooklyn. Wow. And how long have you been here? Um, it's going on six years now. Six years. Yeah. So what about being in Brooklyn? made you want to do write about that rather than write about being in Texas. <laughs> yeah, I think I think I was embraced in a particular way in Brooklyn. Uh, we like to call it like a queer black mecca, especially if you're an artist. There's right. people, everybody who comes here was a weirdo and, mm -hmm. and we're all super weird together and we embrace each other. Um, and I think I like to say that uh, for all the dykes in Montana who Ooh. don't know that there's a space for them, uh, yes. they can definitely come to Brooklyn and find you know, weirdos that are into the same things that, you know, are creative and just open and free space, you know. Is that who your audience is, those weirdos <laughs> specifically? I mean, of course we want the black lesbians to come out, and they do come out. They'll be at the museum on Thursday, certainly. Mm -hmm. uh, but I think there's a universal aspects to the show, right? It's about relationships, really, and um, a couple struggling to practice radical honesty. Mm -hmm. So our, our drama isn't about lies and deception, but it's about right. sitting in the room and having a real conversation with somebody that you love and figuring out how to stay there and keep that, you know, keep the relationship going. Absolutely. That's smart stuff. <laughs> so there, after hearing about this, after the people who watch this, people who tune in, um, in the podcast, they're going to want to go see it. Absolutely. They're going to want to have the opportunity to figure out what 195 Lewis is and get a little peek into your world. How do they do that? Well, um, so we'll be at the museum on Thursday. Mm -hmm. um, Nappy Nita is going to perform. We're also playing a short film by Elegance Bratton about a young trans person coming into their life. It's going to mm -hmm. be great. Um, then next Thursday, the 16th, we're going to be live online. It's been a long-awaited yeah. process, but we'll be online. All they have to do is go to www.195lewis.com. Mm -hmm. um, we're on Facebook. We're on Instagram. We have an event for the online premiere. Just find us at, at 195lewis. That sounds fantastic, yeah. Ray. Thank you so much for being here today. We really appreciate it. Thank you. And all of you, go see it, because it's going to be amazing. Thanks for joining us today. Tomorrow, we focus our coverage on Veterans Day, a look at BAM's upcoming homage to black veterans of World War II. And also, a Brooklyn-based climate scientist will explain his new study that explores the momentum of global warming. Uh-oh. Don't miss it. See you next time. 112BK is hosted by me, Ashley Ford, and is produced by Ross Tuttle, Fred Brown, 
Shireen Bargi, Emily Bogosian, and Kritzi Roberts. Our show is edited by Clinton Filson Jr. and Kyrell Palmer and is recorded by our studio technical director, Eric Hallison. Our executive producers are Aziz Aisham, Jonathan Leaf, and Sasha Mathias. If you want to get in touch, you can leave us a comment, tweet us using the hashtag 112BK, email us at 112BKpodcast at gmail.com, or leave a message at 347-504-0801. And make sure you subscribe to the show on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, or whichever podcatcher you use. 112BK is part of the Brick Radio family. For more information on this and all Brick Radio podcasts, visit brickartsmedia.org slash radio.